Good morning. Welcome to another episode of Balance and the Bar, where we're going to share with you information about how you can maximize the value of your case today. I know this is a topic that is very relevant for a lot of attorneys out there. You're so busy, you're running your business, you're home with the family, you've got so much going on, and you really want to do everything you can to make the most out of each case in your office. And so today we have our resident expert, Jim Magazine of the Magazine Law Group here, and he is going to share some tips and tricks of the legal trade where we're going to be able to ask him everything that you've ever wanted to know about how to get the most value out of your case. How are you? I'm doing well. How about you? I'm doing okay. Good to see you. Good to be seen. Um, so, you know, you're known in the industry as being able to get top value for your case. And, you know, one of the things I think that you're very skilled at is taking a very difficult client. When I mean difficult, somebody who's, I don't want to look at clients as difficult, but just needy, I should say, or somebody who's got kind of a crazy Instagram page, Facebook page, and you're able to take some of that and turn it around and get maximum value for your case. And I thought today we could talk about some specific instances of cases where you've either gotten extra contractual money or maximized a case that you thought was going to go south for various reasons. Well, I think one of the things that I learned early on in my career was that juries and insurance companies are visual. And, and what I mean by that is I, I can remember early in the 90s trying a case where um, a client was getting epidural injections in their spine. And I can remember listening to the surgeon talk about this procedure, and I thought to myself, it really sounds like my client's getting a flu shot. And it really resonated with the jury that same way. And I realized that when you're talking to these surgeons, they've done these procedures, the, either the injections or the surgeries, thousands and thousands and thousands of times. And it's second nature to them. And so it's very difficult for them to articulate to a jury or to help a jur- the jury appreciate the magnitude of what's going on. So after that trial, what I decided to do was have every procedure videotaped. Um, And if I can't get it videotaped and I have to go to trial, I asked the doctor to bring in the syringe, the needle, and I can remember trying a case with a very inexperienced defense lawyer where – one of the issues was epidural steroid injections in the low back. And I actually got the doctor to come off the stand, come by the jury box with the syringe and needle. And the the attorney just was so oblivious to what was going on that I actually had the doctor put the syringe and needle right by my the side of my back. And it looked like it was coming through the other side of my body. And so the jury looks at things like that, and they're like, oh, my God, who in the world would undergo a procedure like that if they weren't hurt? 
So, so when you say video, so are you, are the, I'm assuming there's companies out there that you hire when you have a case, and it has to have obviously a, a value over a certain amount of money to make it worth the worthwhile. So, I mean, I'm, I mean, are, is there a specific company that you've used or you know that specializes in this, or could it be any? I mean, you don't obviously we're not going to. Um, we can have people contact us for names of video companies, but I, is it specialized or can anyone go into a surgery and video it? Don't you have to have a level of expertise to do that? And don't you have to have a value of the case? So so in the 90s, there was not one company in the United States that did this. And so myself and another lawyer, we founded a company called Surgical Videos. That video, That company is no longer in existence. Now a lot of the uh, companies that will make demonstrative aids and things of that nature have a service uh, that they'll come into the surgery suite and um, do these procedures. Right. And what, what's the, your barrier, like your boundary for value? Well, it's really not. It's relatively inexpensive. You know, if, if we're going to have, let's just say, epidural steroid injections or rhizotomy videotaped, you know, it may be that the videotape is $500. Oh, that's, um, that's If I have, a, you know, a spine surgery videotaped, it may be a couple of thousand dollars. But, you know, if, if I'm in a case where my client's getting spine surgery, the value of the case is multiple six figures. So that couple of thousand dollars is the best money I've spent. Okay, great. So we know now that one of the ways, the tricks of the trade is to get video when you have a client who needs injections or surgery so that you can increase the value of the case because the jury is visual. Um, is there another trick you could share with everybody? Well, those are the, those are the things that I do on a daily basis. Um, then you, a lot of times what I do with a condition called a Chiari malformation is if you have a client that, um, that when the MRI shows that, that that condition exists, if the client is um, complaining of headaches on a regular basis, there's a lot of medical literature out there. Yeah, and just to take it down a notch, what is that, what is that malformation? Is that a headache condition? So the malformation is a condition that's formed along the spinal cord. It's an accumulation of fluid in that area. Is this a common thing that happens so when someone's involved in an and is it It's related? not traumatically induced at all. It's a pre-existing condition that most people don't even know they have. Uh, and But when it becomes symptomatic, uh, a lot of times you'll have to have a brain surgery to relieve that condition. So... What I like to do is if I get a client that, you know, the MRI shows they have that carry malformation and they're suffering from headaches, what I like to do is get them to a neurosurgeon that I use who will give that opinion that more likely than not in the future they'll require that to be operated on to relieve that pressure. Right. So it sounds like, you you know, another trick of the trade is really understanding the medical piece and educating yourself when you have an injury case. And I know this has got to be hard for lawyers starting out 
to really understand the medical part. How did you, over the years, educate yourself about the various conditions? Was it through depositions or did you meet separately with doctors in order to really gain the knowledge you need to maximize the value of your case? So what I would do is I would actually meet with the doctors. Uh, I think one of the, the keys to this business is relationships with a lot of the doctors that you use. I don't, I, I don't have relationships with a lot of doctors. I have a, a lot of rela- I have a relationship with conservative doctors, doctors that um, you'll find that if um, in the community, if a doctor needs that special surgery, they go to the doctors that I have my relationships with. And the reason I do that is I always want an honest opinion. I don't want to go into the courtroom thinking that my case is you know, better than it really is. I want to know going in. So like you want to be able to argue the medicine, you want the doctor in that position too, because I know many doctors are deposed on all kinds of billing issues. And I think when you've got the medicine on your side, it's easy to argue that. I think that the defense is always going to try to detract from the medical piece, but the more knowledgeable the lawyer is about the medical piece, the more you can just argue the medicine and get away from what they're trying to attack. Well, that's exactly right. And so then what I do is what, with those with those doctors is I, I familiarize myself with the condition, and then a lot of times the doctors will point me to certain medical articles or literature about that condition so that I can read up on it and try to understand it so that I can articulate what's going on in a better way to not only the insurance company, but if I have to, to the jury, and I can have that conversation. If there's a defense expert, I'm not, you know, sitting there trying to swing for uh, the fences without knowing what I'm really talking about. Right. I mean, it sounds like you just really want to understand, know your client, look at their records. I think it's also important to go through their records with a fine-tooth comb. So when I was practicing law in Chicago as a workers' compensation attorney, I don't know if I've ever told you this story, but I was going into trial, and um, with workers' comp, you didn't have to get all the records in advance. And the day of trial, I found out in the proceeding that my client was in a bar fight the night before the accident and injured the same hand that he was alleging was injured at work the next day at a hospital. So I always, um, from that point on, learned that it's really important to understand the medical inside and out and actually read. You know a lot of you out there have uh, paralegals and legal assistants and even software now that evaluates the medical records for you. But as a lawyer, looking and understanding and knowing your case, it's important to really know the medical piece and spend time to really review those records. In addition to the medical part, I mean, I know you're known for getting um, bad faith on cases and over um, getting uh, extra contractual money. So I thought maybe people would love to hear about how your some tips or uh, tricks about getting involved with those cases. I don't, I don't think there's really a tip or a trick involved. I think that <clears throat> it, it, it actually... Trick, trick is probably the wrong word to I, use in that I, situation. I think it really comes down to the fact that um, in order to be successful in that arena, you have to make your name in the courtroom. You have to be in the courtroom, and you have to get verdicts. And, and the reason I say that is... 
because when you have a case where the insurance company fails to tender the policy limits, um, you know, most lawyers will get it through litigation and then they'll take that policy limit. And that happens more than not. It's really the question of whether the insurance company believes that you're going to go there, you're going to put the money in, and you're going to get the verdict and then fight for the extra contractual piece of it. Um, You know, I always tell a story. I had a case years and years ago uh, where an insurance company had a $100,000 policy, and they tried to trick the insured son into believing that there was no coverage on this policy when her injuries were catastrophic. Um, We took the case. And from my, you know, from the beginning, I got my bad faith lawyer involved. We were, we were very confident that we had a good bad faith case. And as I was picking a jury, I can, I can remember it like it was yesterday. I had a meeting the night before the trial with my law partner. And he said, you do realize we have 200000 in costs into this case. And if you're wrong, we only get $100,000 and we're upside down. And I, I just had that belief that I was right. And as we were picking the jury, we settled the case for $4.25 million when all they had to do was pay that $100,000. But I think... And the, I mean, the one thing I think about you is that you'd be willing to talk to anybody if any of you out there have questions <clears throat> about anything related to bad faith or getting this extra contractual money or even how to talk to doctors or learning about the different medical conditions. I know Jim's, that's one of his things. He loves mentoring lawyers who are starting out and trying to educate them about the different issues that come up and and sharing that. And that's why we're doing this podcast. We really want to educate everybody and share all these years of experience with all of you in helping you. It's hard enough running your business and then you've got all these nuances in the cases and it's nice to have somebody that's willing to be a competitor yet share information. I, I find that a lot of what I hear out there is that the legal community, um, the competitors are rough with each other. And I think one of the things with the balance and the bar is learning to try to bring in as many lawyers as we can, sharing information together about how to add value to your cases and, and using that information as a networking opportunity. So we're really excited to bring in some um, other lawyers to talk to Jim about what he's doing to add value to his cases. And, and in the meantime, we're also launching this new firm. And if I can just ask one quick last question in balance in the bar, how is the balance in your life going with starting your new firm? I know you're leaving for a conference today and heading out of town and trying to juggle a lot, but honestly, like, First month in the business, what are your thoughts? It's been a good first month. I mean, things are, you know, I mean, new cases are coming in, I'm settling cases. Um, yeah, I mean, I listen, it, it's not easy starting your own firm. No one's going to say it is, uh, but it's fun. I'm having a great time, and, you know, for the last hurrah in my career, I think that this is what it should be. Right. And I think what's also fun is learning all these new modern ideas and then sharing them with everybody. I feel like there shouldn't be secrets. We should all help each other. And that's what this podcast is all about. It's about balance and the bar and sharing information with our legal community out there. 
So thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me.